It's time to run the pass. Today's guest is Emmanuel LaRoche. He hosts the Flavors Unknown podcast. He's a insightful interviewer. He is also the vice president of marketing for Simrise, a food and fragrance company. Today, we're going to get into uh, the differences between growing up in France and the United States, what the food culture is like, you know, what are some of the commonalities that he's discovered amongst successful chefs throughout all his interviews and what his opinion is on the current state of the union in the food world. So without further ado, Emmanuel LaRoche. Welcome, Emmanuel. How are you today? Thank you very much, Andre. I'm, I'm very good, and thank you for having me um, on your podcast. Really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, for those people that uh, may have not listened to your podcast, uh, you've had me on your show a couple of times, and uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed myself. Um, I wanted to turn the tables on you today, get your insight, your opinions on food, and you know, kind of the culinary industry and where we're headed. Especially because you interview so many chefs, and you interview chefs from all across the country. I'm very curious if, you know, I'm going to jump right into the first question, which has been on my mind, especially as I look for successful people. Do you notice anything as you're interviewing all these successful chefs across the country? Uh, is there any commonalities that you find across the board? The one consistent thing that they all seem to do that, that you think might be the, uh, uh, you know, the, the magic sauce? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I will have the magic sauce. I will, uh, I will sell it and I will become rich and I will go on an island and I will retire. <laughs> but um, I have to say that, uh, first of all, I have um, a very high opinion of, uh, you know, all the, of the profession that you guys have. It's a very tough one. It's a very difficult one. And, and obviously, you know, at the moment with the situation of the pandemic, it's not getting, uh, you know, easier. But one of the things that um, I have seen in common with all the, the chefs or the culinary leaders, you know, because I'm interviewing pastry chefs and mixologists as well, I think they have all in common like uh, a passion, you know, passion about, you know, the food or creating cocktails, you know, or making desserts. And, and they have a drive. And, uh, and that drive is something which they maintain all the time and doesn't matter, you know, like the... Uh, the difficult situation that they are going through. And it could be um, just having like, um, you know, a cook missing, you know, for a service one night or, you know, or facing like the pandemic. So I, I really have seen uh, uh, people being able to, I know a lot of people don't like the term pivoting, but I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, business uh, being able to pivot during this, um, you know, the pandemic. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the aspects that um, is really common with, um, you know, with all, all the chefs and this really um, resilience, you know, that, uh, that you guys have. Uh, resilience that comes from the external factors that say, we just talked about. But I've seen as well, which is, um, you know, uh, pressure that uh, you guys put on yourself because, uh, you know, you want to be the best and um, you want to succeed. And um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of pressure that um, that's, um, as an industry you are putting on yourself. So on top of uh, passion and uh, a drive, I, I just want to say as well that um, a lot of the chefs that I interview on my podcast, Flavors Unknown, had in common uh, discipline. They had the respect, you know, of the produce, the respect of uh, the details, and uh, they had discipline to achieve um, consistency. So consistency was something very important and, and common throughout all the culinary leaders that, um, you know, that I interviewed. All of them as well had great uh, mentors. Um, they 
could identify the right uh, people that could uh, teach them, you know, additional skills or even, you know, culinary skills or things outside of uh, the culinary space. The other um, elements that I found were common to all the successful uh, chefs that I talked to, they were able to set up goals very early in their career. And the last point is uh, that they focus their creative approach through collaboration and collaboration was an important element um, you know for them uh, collaboration with their team um, as well as um, collaboration with their purveyors and and farmers i would definitely agree with that i, I know that most of the successful chefs that that i've come in contact with they have a certain discipline and drive and sometimes a lot of them do have the talent as well sure but almost all of them have uh, the dedication and the passion, right? Sometimes talent only takes you so far, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, beside like being successful, I think there's a lot of other common aspects, you know, that I have seen um, talking to all the chefs. And uh, one, one of, it, of them is um, like, um, you know, I talk a lot about creativity, as you know, in my, uh, in my podcast and techniques mm -hmm. and uh, all of you guys just really said that, uh, uh, creativity is nothing, you know, without techniques. And so techniques, you know, are first, and then you can build your creativity on like a solid foundation. So that's an, a very important common aspect on all the interviews that I have with, uh, you know, with chefs. And as you're going and interviewing a lot of these chefs, I, I'm, I'm also assuming, at least based on what I'm seeing uh, from your social media, that you're also dining at a lot of these uh, chefs' restaurants as well. Is, <laughs> I mean, is that safe to assume? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. That's part of, um, you know, the things that I like. I'm a hedonist, you know, so uh, um, <laughs> it's very difficult at the moment, you know, with the pandemic because uh, it's difficult to... Uh, you know, to travel. I love to travel and usually travel mm. almost like three weeks a month. And, you know, since March last year, I haven't done a lot of traveling. And so I'm trying to do as much as I can to support my, like the local restaurants that I love, you know, in the New Jersey area where I live. But I am getting my second shot later this week. And after that, I'm, you know, I'm ready in May to hit the road. So yes, I, I love to, um, to uh, eat at the, the restaurants and every time I can, I will go to a restaurant, uh, you know, of the chef that I know that I'm going to interview because I, I want to understand, you know, the cooking style and the type of food that they are serving. I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about before interviewing them. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So where's the first place that you're traveling and where's the first restaurants that you're going to? Um, so I don't, I'm not sure that it is going to be... Um, uh, the first place because I might have some business trip that I'm not aware of at the moment, but let's say that I have one which is uh, scheduled because I have a conference to attend in um, August in Nashville. Um, so I'm going to spend the first week in, uh, in August in Nashville. And I have interviewed Chef Andrew McLeod. And uh, so probably I will go to Avenue M because I haven't had the chance to, um, you know, to go there. So that's a place that I'm going to go. And then the other one, I just, uh, I think next week I'm going to release uh, the episodes with uh, Levin Wallace. Uh, and he has opened and he's pivoted during the, uh, the whole pandemic and he in open a pretzel uh, company and it's called the Fat Belly Pretzels. And, uh, oh. you know, I'm going to go there as well because it's, it's a very interesting story because it's a chef that, 
been into a lot of different positions like you in, you know, like in hotel, it's been in uh, like fine dining restaurants uh, and uh, he had to change completely, you know, and switch gears because of the, the situation of the pandemic and he opened his own business. Hmm. So that's where and I'm going to go. Nashville. When you think back to some of the, the better meals that you had uh, pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, what, what were some of the things that you were noticing in some of the top restaurants that, that you were frequenting? Did you notice any commonalities or any trends that, uh, that maybe didn't get their full chance to shine due to the, um, you know, kind of the halt that we all hit? Hmm. That's a difficult question because, I mean, every time I go to um, a restaurant, what I like to do is to uh, really scan the menu very quickly and, and, and focus on, you know, certain dishes that I'm not aware of or an interesting flavor combination that i never seen before. Um, so that's the way how I, you know, I, I look at, um, I, I don't like, you know, big portions. I, I like a smaller portion and I like to, um, you know, to taste, you know, different parts of like a, of a menu, you know, when I, mm-hmm. I came to, uh, you know, to Garrison or, or Reverie in, uh, at the Fairmont in Austin. And um, that's what I love to do. I, I love to um, discover like new things that I'm, you know, not, not familiar with. So it's difficult to say, I mean, talking about trends, I think it's not maybe connected to some of the, the tasting that I've done prior to the pandemic, but it's maybe things that I see in the, the job that I have, which is really, you know, I, we have seen a lot of things around like comfort food, for instance, you know, it's become, it's big, especially with, the, you know, the pandemic. So there's a lot of different interpretation around like dishes, like, you know, fried chicken or burgers or biscuits or pretzels, you know, or pizzas or mm-hmm. whatever. So we see a lot of this with a lot of different twists, you know, and like an anchor, I would say ingredients or an anchor concept or an anchor flavors. And then with new twists, you know, around this, but, but comfort food is, is, you know, one of the big thing. The other aspect, I think in terms of trends, I would say it's like um, global, you know, global flavors. What do you mean global? Like global ingredients or global techniques or what, what do you mean by global? I think it could be both. It could be both. It could be um, a, a dish coming from, I would say it's a, diff, a new interpretation of, I, I, I hate the term fusion, but like, in, mm-hmm. uh, because at the end you don't know what, you know, the outcome of it. And uh, it's a kind of a mishmash. What I like is, in fact, the combination of things where it's like traditional dish that comes maybe from a certain area that's mixed with the different techniques coming from another mm-hmm. area. But we have seen a lot of uh, influences, I would say, you know, with Filipino cuisine, with uh, mm-hmm. Korean cuisine, with uh, Brazilian cuisine, you know, at the moment. So there's a lot of things mm-hmm. of that, you know, um, going on. One of my former chef de cuisines just opened up a Filipino Vietnamese food truck here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Kevin Trong. But it, it's really interesting that you starting to see the emergence of Filipino cuisine, which is, you know, maybe one of the uh, most underrepresented mm-hmm. uh, Asian cuisines probably in the United States. And I, and I think uh, maybe maybe it's going to have its moment here pretty soon. You know, yeah, from, I agree. From my I, chef. Mean, I had like... A- Carlo, uh, La Ma- Carlos Lamagna, you know, from La Magna, mm-hmm. sorry, from, uh, you know, on the podcast as well. And we talked a lot about Filipino cuisine and definitely it's underrepresented. There's a lot of great, you know, taste. There's a lot of great dishes. It's a, a combination of a lot of different influences, you know, with uh, 
um, the British, uh, you know, the Portuguese, um, you know, influence and, and so on, Mexican influence. Mm-hmm. So. Where do you see the next couple of years going? I mean, um, if you ha- if you have your finger on the on the pulse of the industry, um, and I know we're coming right out of a pandemic, so it's a little bit difficult to tell. What big things do you see coming into the industry and what would you like to see more of? I, I believe like definitely um, the the global influence is here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking about like the new generation. So you have the millennials, you know, that are like the 25 and, you know, 35. I've been exposed, you know, to, you know, like a different like diversity of, of cuisine. And that's part of now things that they are really looking for when they go to uh, restaurants or when they order online. Uh, so, and then the younger generation, which we call Gen Z, um, that are the one that are, you know, and up to like 22, 23, they are born with it. Um, they don't even know something different. You know, that's the most mm-hmm. diverse parts of uh, the population in, in the U.S., which is the largest, uh, you know, group of consumers at the moment in the U.S. And, and uh, so you are going to see more and more, you know, these global influences in the cuisine, you know, in, uh, in the future, for sure. The other things that we are going to see is probably some food that is connected to like a better, healthier way of eating, you know, especially with the pandemic, you know, you have seen a lot of uh, consumers that are looking at um, having certain functional benefits, you know, in, in the food. Um, thinking about immunity, for instance, is one of the, um, you know, of the functional benefits that people are looking at. So I think it's um, not only in the food industry, but it is as well at the level of, uh, you know, hospitality and food service. There's a lot of things that can be done, like elderberry, for instance, elderberry is like, um, it's um, it's very important uh, element for immunity and uh, it could be used in sauces, it could be in cocktail, it could be used in, you know, sauces for savory dishes, but as well for, you know, for desserts. And then all kind of citrus, you know, citrus is, is very good for, you know, that type of, uh, you know, of benefits. And um, you are going to see a lot of different variety, you know, of citrus um, that is going to be, uh, you know, trending on, on the market. So that's that type of things that we are going to see. I want to put you on the spot again. So you <laughs> you travel some great food cities, uh, New York, San Francisco, yep. Chicago, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas. Where do you see the next culinary giants coming from? Is it, uh, is, is New York still going to reign supreme? Is there, is there new cities on the come up? Where do you see uh, food really emerging right now? You are really putting me on the spot. That's good that you only, uh, you know, uh, started to think about the question two minutes before the podcast. <laughs> I would have been dead otherwise. Um, man, I mean, Denver, Denver is really interesting. There are a lot of things going on there. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to say any city that is going to be like really completely innovative, like, like uh, you know, outside of, uh, of things that you know, um, you know, already. Um, I think that Appalachian, you know, area with Asheville is, is really, um, you know, really interesting. Seattle is, uh, is an interesting city as well. Uh, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about Portland. I mean, the one that are mm-hmm. big, you know, Portland and Austin, that definitely are going to continue. But, um, you know, cities like, um, you know, like uh, Seattle is, you know, is, are interesting. Portland's always been cool, by the way. I went to culinary school in Portland, Oregon. Oh, really? Um, and okay. Yeah, I, I did. And uh, one of my culinary school instructors 
uh, he used to go foraging in the woods for mushrooms and, uh, you know, other things. Um, and it's interesting because this is 1995. Rene Redzepi started making this famous, you know, like what, what is that? Uh, 20, in, you know, 2010 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, um, but, but it's interesting because the chefs in Portland were doing this way before it was ever cool. Um, and they've always had this, this innovative culinary culture that I think just sure. now is getting the recognition that it deserves. It's a, and, and, you it's, know, a in it's France, a very underrated city. And in France, we had Michel Bras, you know, before that, even before René Redzepi. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, so let, let's talk about France. And I, I, the only reason I'm thinking about this is one episode of flavors unknown you did in Austin, Texas. Um, and it was three chefs. It was myself. Yep. It was Kevin Fink. Um, and Fiori. And yep. we, we yep. sat in the private dining room of mm -hmm. Garrison mm -hmm. inside the Fairmont Hotel. Yeah. Um, and we had a little bit of a family meal and I made uh, pomme puree. And you said, and I quote, you said it was as good as, uh, as the one you would have growing up. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about I'm uh, used to make. Yes. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. what it was like growing up. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a nice compliment to Sure. I, I thought it was really nice, nice so to hear. First, to put that, all of that together, uh, I still, uh, you know, remember it as it was yesterday. Um, you know, pomme puree was only, for everyone listening, pomme puree was only a little fraction of what, um, you know, uh, Chef Andre and uh, his team has put together. So thank you again. So what were some of the things that you grew up on as, in terms of uh, food culture growing up? Um, because I know you have a family now. Um, I'm, I'm sure you have your own food culture here at home in the United States. But what was the food culture like uh, growing up in France? And what are some of the key differences in the household food culture between sure. the United States and France? Yeah, I mean, to maybe to, uh, you know, to reset the context uh, and probably I'm going to give up my a little bit my age here, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I, I would say that I grew up uh, when I was a kid, I would say it's like in the 70s. And then um, I moved to the U.S. Uh, like early 2000. Um, so I would say that what I'm going to talk about is my own experience. And it's from like the 70s and the 80s. And then, then as well, my own uh, you know, family before I move, you know, to the US. I have to say that food is um, ubiquitous, you know, in, in, in France. It's, uh, it's something that's part of uh, a social activity, you know, that, that you do uh, with uh, your family and you learn this, uh, you know, from a young age. So I think that's, if I remember, um, I was maybe five or, yeah, probably five or six. My mom taught me how to make like it's a cola, we call it like a yogurt, yogurt cake. So you use like the, the parts of a yogurt, you know, to measure the ingredients. So when you are a very young kid, that, you know, it's easy to, um, to work with. But that's the first things I learned how to make with my mom. And then the second one was when I was probably around eight, I, I learned how to make myself like the traditional quiche Lorraine. Uh, you know, my mom was from that region, so she knew it very well. And, um, you know, and still from making the dough and, you know, the crust and everything. So, um, so that's, that's what I started to uh, grow up with. And then, so I think when you're looking at the different aspects of um, between the France and the US, I would say that the meals are a little bit different. Uh, the approach of the meals are a little bit different. Um, so for us, I would say like breakfast is not maybe in France, like not maybe the most important meal of the day. So, you know, here in the US, you can have everything you want with, you know, eggs and sausages and bacons and biscuits and whatever. You know, in France, you have coffee and then you're going to have maybe cafe au lait and then you're going to have um, your piece of bread 
like toasted with jams, butter, don't forget butter, uh, butter and jams. And um, that's about it. And you will have croissant, like maybe like over the weekend, you know, like on Saturday and Sunday, you have croissants and like, you know, maybe that's it. You know, it's always fun when I bring some friends from the US to France and then we go and, you know, we share breakfast in the morning and they are like, what's the rest? I'm like, there's no rest. That's, that's what it is. And then, um, then for us, like, uh, I mean, I say for us and now, now I'm a citizen as well in the US, but I would say in, in France at that time, that lunch was probably Con- the most- Congratulations, important. by the way. Oh, thank you. Lunch was probably the most important meal of the day. You know, for you guys, like here in the US, it may be more dinner. But for, for, for the French, like, um, you know, lunch is the important moment. Uh, it's not something that even when you're working, maybe that's changed a little bit since I left, but um, it's still about taking the time, you know, with your colleagues, you know, if you're at work and having that social moment. So you are going to have like different, let's say, parts of a meal. You are going to have a starter. You are going to have a main course. You are going to have a dessert. Um, there used to be a time that even you were drinking a glass of wine, probably not anymore. But um, uh, so that's the f- most difficult thing, I, I believe, that uh, for me to adapt in the U.S. is while working that, in fact, you are, um, you know, eating something quick, you know, while you are reading something, while you are continuing working at your desk and so on. So that's, that's a major difference uh, between the culture between France and uh, the, the United States. So that's what I would say, you know, and then the other thing as well, which is interesting is I discovered that on my first trip to the U.S. probably, I don't remember when it was, but that was in the 90s. And that there were children menus, you know, on, and restaurants. Uh, I never seen children menus in restaurants, you know, in France. It's like, come to, like the kids have to eat the same thing that the parents, you know, eat and that you don't have. So maybe again, that has changed now. I don't, uh, but I, I never seen any children menus before when I traveled to the U.S. That was my, that was a big discovery for me. I don't know if it's answering your questions, but. No, no, it does. That's interesting that uh, there's no kids menus. So I, I'm assuming that then they're just having a, a smaller portion of whatever the, the parents are having. Yeah, or yeah, you're going to, to order a special, a special um, um, maybe a lighter portions, or, or maybe you are going to uh, give something from your own, you know, dish that you have ordered. So, yeah. So they don't have chicken tenders and macaroni and cheese and for the uh, kids, no. kids in France. <laughs> Maybe they do, but now I'm sure it's something, you know, uh, fast food. Yes, definitely they have. But, uh, they got to they they get it together over there. They don't know what they're missing out on. <laughs> I don't know what they are missing. <laughs> they don't know what they're missing. Oh, geez. How, life as a child must be terrible without chicken tenders. Yeah, they survive. <laughs> Poor French kids. Um, survive. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know your full time job. Let's call it um, sure. your um, day job. Yes, your day job. Your your vice president of marketing for Simrise, yep. um, and which is obviously a very big big job. Um, what got you into that, and what are some of the the things that uh, that you, that you're working on right now with your company? Okay, so um, I mean, first maybe to uh, set up the context as well. Um, uh, Simrise is a company that. Uh, um, manufacture flavors and fragrances for the, uh, f- I mean, the food industry or the fragrance industry. I am in uh, working for the, the flavor division, you know, of Simrise in uh, North America. We are a global company, but I'm located in, in uh, you know, in the U.S. 
Um, and what got me into it? I have a, a master of chemistry first. You know, that's how I started. And um, I discovered the world of flavors um, in Grasse, uh, the southeast part of France, which is like really the the the, the center of um, the flavor creation, you know, in, in the past, I would say. And I did an internship when I finished my MBA and uh, I discovered the world of flavors and I fell in love with it. I think I bored my family to death during the summer, uh, bringing like uh, different extracts and, um, you know, and say, hey, this is what you can do with it. This is look, smell this. And but uh, yeah, I fell in love with it. I thought it was like so uh, interesting, innovative um trendy um and um i started my career and i'm still in the flavor industry uh, you know after many years um and it's still like every day it's new and every day i'm excited whether um, you know we are doing so you were talk- asking me what we are working on it's you know something that's usually i mean that's not something that we share because it's very proprietary with um, you know, major food industry, food manufacturers that we are, um, you know, that, that we are working with. But um, obviously, we are doing a lot of things with um, understanding food trends, uh, spending time on um, interviewing, um, you know, experts. Uh, um, it could be culinary leaders um, on, in the fields. It, it could be a nutritionist. It could be psychologist, And trying to understand where, um, you know, the food industry is going. The, the other aspect, we spend a lot of time with consumers. We do a lot of consumer research. So even if we do not sell to consumers completely, we are spending a lot of time with them because they are the end users of our product. So we need to try to understand what, uh, you know, what they like and what they want. And then um, I have to say that maybe the recent things that I, I could share is that uh, in um, the fall of last year, for the first time, we launched... Um, a brand for the consumers and the food professionals like yourself. We launched a new line of vanilla extracts. Uh, it's called vanilla. It's, it's, uh, you call it like you write it like V-N-L-L-A. So we like to say it's vanilla without the AI. And uh, so we, we are a unique position because we are the only flavor company to be in Madagascar, and I'm sure you know Madagascar is the heart of production of vanilla in the world. Um, and we have been there for more than 10 years. We have more than 200 people uh, working there. And we have launched this um, new line of um, you know, extracts, um, pure vanilla extract as well with um, blends with like the most, I would say, important flavors for bakery. Um, or ice cream. So we have um, like a lemon vanilla, we have like an orange vanilla, we have a blend, a spice blend with vanilla that you can use with, you know, ice cream, bakery, um, cocktails, um, sauces, you know, and, and so on. So, so that's one of the new things that um, we have been working on. And, uh, you know, in, in that respect, I continue to uh, work with, you know, with chefs and, and mixologists and, and pastry chefs to try to understand, you know, how they would use that product in their own creations. Just out of curiosity, just going back to something that you said, um, you said you work with psychologists and psychiatrists? Yeah, I mean, uh, not it's, it's like psychology to try to understand like consumer behaviors. So, okay, so the idea is it's really to, to try to understand, you know, um, if you are talking about, for instance, um, you know, there was a big trend 
um, on the markets uh, that started like a few years back that's um, um, called like crafted, you know, slash artisan. Um, and it was very much driven by um, the millennial generation. So the idea is that we want to understand what crafted, you know, meant for them. So we talk about diff two different experts, but it's interesting to understand the psychology of, you know, of things there as well. So we, you know, we have done this. So when um, we talked as well about, um, uh, we did some research on, you know, other topics like um, um, plant proteins or um, other topics, um, you know, where, where we need to try to understand where the consumers are coming from. So. So it's not like the heart of the research, but it's always interesting to see from a, a different perspective. No, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think it's fascinating that, uh, that your company is exploring it from more than just one angle um, versus taking a traditional approach and, and thinking outside the box. I love fragrances, by the way, which I didn't, I was unaware um, that you also um, you know, produce fragrances with your company, but- Yeah, most of that type of industry will uh, do both because it's based on the same, um, let's say, um, you know, chemistry. If, you know, I know a lot of people don't like that word, but, you know, we are all based on, you know, on uh, atoms and molecules. And <laughs> so we need to understand, you know, uh, when you do extracts and so on, you need to understand the molecular structure of things that you are working on and the way, um, you know, things are done when it comes to aroma, smell, taste, you know, it's, part of the same space or the same industry. So most of the time companies have both divisions. So that they, they have a, a fragrance division and a flavor division. I gotta tell you, I'm an aroma snob, uh, truly. I, 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 I honestly, I'm not joking. I think I have about 15 bottles of cologne in my, in my restroom. Oh, wow. I, have to, I have way too many. With my go-to fragrance is a Tom Ford tobacco vanilla. So okay. I, I hope he's using the vanilla without the AI. <laughs> I hope he's using the right vanilla because it smells good. Uh, yeah. That's that's my that's my go-to fragrance. But yeah, just um, about the vanilla, you know, it's like uh, if people are listening and they want to do a check and check on it, it's uh, so it's vanilla extract company. So it's v n l l a extractco.com, and then they can look at it. Excellent. You know, let's, I just want to switch subjects and talk about um, your show, Flavors Unknown. Yeah. You've been in that, uh, I want to say, for maybe uh, maybe three years now. Uh, Is that fair? In, uh, the fall of 2018. So it'll be three years yeah. this fall. You know, you've, you've had the opportunity to interview a lot of chefs. You know, what are, what are some of your favorite moments from, uh, from all the podcasts that you've done? Oh man, that that's a tough question. <laughs> it's an that, easy answer. You just say having dinner with you and Garrison. <laughs> exactly. I said if I don't, I, don't I set you up. <laughs> I, I, at least I have I have like uh, uh, some flexibility because I think I I had you like three times on the show. So two yes. on your own and one um, you know with uh, other other chefs. So. Um, no, I, I I have to say definitely the the dinner at um, the lunch, sorry, at um, the Fairmonts with you guys is on, you know, on top of the list because um, that was a great concept that we have, you know, we have done that, you know, you and I, we brainstorm a little bit and you want, you know, the idea of coming back, but with a different format. And I think that was like a, a great way of doing it. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of discussion that I had 
it's very difficult to pinpoint, but, um, you know, there's a great discussion I had with some chefs like the uh, Gabriel Kreuther, you know, from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from Gabriel Kreuther restaurant in, um, in Manhattan. Um, this I was got, right around the pandemic, correct? About the time no, you it was before. Him. It was before that. Um, it was, um, it was the fall of, um, of uh, 19, uh, because it was just, did before. you ever have him? Maybe you had him on twice. I have, yeah, I had him. So one on its own, on his own. And it was before my trip to Japan with my younger son. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I had in, um, as a panel discussion, uh, during That's the right. pandemic, you know, I had great conversation. I think that's a very good conversation with uh, Andrew uh, McLeod. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. you listen to this episode, but it's uh, it's it's a really nice conversation. Um, that's great. I had um, Edouard Lee, I know as well mm-hmm. as a guest. Um, I think we had a, a great conversation um, there as well. I really love like um, you know the. Um, female chefs that I had in my show. Um, I, I just want to highlight this because somehow it seems to be difficult, you know, to um, have them uh, sometime to commit. Um, <laughs> because I had, I had like someone like uh, DMing me on Instagram and says, hey, you, you should have like more female chefs on your show. And I'm like, I love to. And I invited a lot of them, uh, but some of them, you know, are not following through. So but I really love having uh, Chef uh, Kim Alter from, uh, you know, uh, Nightbird in San Francisco. Uh, mm. She she's a great uh, chef. Um, if you haven't been there, I mean, hopefully, you know, when we can travel, uh, Andre, you should you should go there. She has a fantastic uh, tasting menu based on the concept of uh, zero waste on the in the kitchen, and uh, mm. so she has the menu which is done like in different. Um, courses where in between courses are using the byproducts of the main ingredients from the course before. So I, I think it's cool. really an interesting, interesting concept. It's just a great, you know, a great person to, um, um, you know, to talk to. Um, and then um, I had um, an interesting, um, you know, chef from uh, New Jersey. I did um, an episode during the pandemic with two chefs from New Jersey and um, her name is uh, Chef Lia Gaccione. Uh, she's based in Morristown, and she is fantastic. She's doing an outstanding job, you know, in, in her restaurant in, in Morristown. That's one of the one that I go uh, quite often because I, I live like half hour, you know, from, from, from her restaurant. So another chef's, um, you know, another female chef, which is, um, was, was a great, um, you know, uh, guest. Was, her name is Misty Norris. I don't know if you listened to this one. Um, I did. Yeah, I know Misty. She's a phenomenal chef. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk about charcuterie. We talk about, you know, foraging, fermentation. Um, and um, that's that's another uh, great guest that, um, you know, I had on the show. I'm, I'm excited as well. One of the next one is going to come up. I had the chance to interview a, a food critics, a food critic. So um, uh, I'm going yep. to have that in one of the upcoming episodes. So it's, that's, that's something I, I definitely want to do as well. I want to get some food critics on here and put them in the hot seat. Um, <laughs> ask them some of the questions I asked you and let's see how they do. Get them ready for that. 
I did think about you when um, you know I prepared some of my questions, and um, I had you on my mind when I was talking to um, you know to him. So <laughs> good, good, yes. Put, put, the put him in the hot seat. I, we had <laughs> so. Good. Well, Emmanuel, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you. Um, it's always Likewise. really fun to learn uh, more about what you do. And for people that, uh, that don't know, where could, they, where could they learn more about you and, and what you're up to? Sure. So the podcast the, uh, for the website uh, for Flavors Unknown, it's uh, flavorsunknown.com. Uh, and then they can follow uh, me as well on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. Easy. Great. Emmanuel, great to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see each other in, uh, I guess, in September when I come to Austin. Yeah. Looking forward to it. We'll have, a, we'll have another, another nice lunch set up for you. I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon.